Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. You can get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash losttheplotcast. I highly recommend Amanda Palmer's book, The Art of Asking, and you can get it for free. Just visit audibletrial.com slash lostthepodcast. All right, let's do this. From Mill U Media Group, this is Ryan Hamilton's Lost the Plotcast. I'm your host, Ryan Hamilton, and this is Episode 7, Guess Who? With founding member of the Guess Who, Gary Peterson. You know, it's not every day you get to sit down with a living legend. A Hall of Famer. Someone who was there literally before rock and roll. I mean, we're talking pre-Elvis, pre-The Beatles. Founding member and drummer for the Guess Who. He was also the drummer in, as we would say in Texas, Bachman-Turner Overdrive, even though I think it's actually pronounced Bachman. So yeah, drummer for the Guess Who, played drums for Bachman-Turner Overdrive, Gary Peterson. Not only does Gary set the record straight on some things about the Guess Who that are now entering kind of like folklore status, there are certain stories about the writing, how the song American Woman came to be. There have been several different versions told over the years. But Gary sets the record straight, and he does it in a way where it's kind of hard to argue with him. You know, one thing that was interesting to me is uh, my wonderful, beautiful wife, Holly, is from the UK, and she wasn't really familiar with the Guess Who. And it blew my mind because they were so massive here back in the day. One of my dad's favorite bands, one of my favorite bands, are you kidding me? And Holly and my my British bandmates, not that familiar. Like, they knew the song American Woman, but didn't really know the Guess Who. But as soon as I mentioned Backman-Turner Overdrive, it's really hard for me not to say Bachman, so I'm just going to say it. I'm from the South, I'm from Texas, I say Bachman. You guys are just going to have to deal with it. But uh, as soon as I mentioned Bachman-Turner Overdrive, they were like, oh, yeah, which is strange to me. Gary does shed some light on why they were so huge in America and Canada and not so much in the UK. They went there once. They went to the UK once to play Top of the Pops, and then they never went back. I'll let him tell you more about why and kind of the circumstances surrounding that. This was a truly fascinating conversation because he comes from a time so far before the internet, Facebook, cell phones, all of those things. I mean, the man's 72 years old and he's still playing the shit out of those drums. I gotta say it. He is a true lover of music. And of the craft, you'll definitely be able to tell that whenever you hear some of the things he has to say. You know, and Gary comes from a time when rock and roll was new, when it was authentic and exciting. The Guess Who not only came from the beginnings of rock and roll, they are arguably the very first pop rock band. Though they had clear jazz influences you know, and and other genres that influenced them. I really can't think of a band before the Guess Who who mixed rock and pop the way they did. And other people I know will agree with me. Some hardcore, like, music historians are totally going to disagree with me. But I think, in my opinion, they were the first pop rock band. 
And I really think that they paved the way for the genre that we now know as pop rock. I mean, you got to remember, pop rock wasn't even a thing when this band was touring and, you know, selling millions of records and having number one hits. You know, speaking of number ones, I do want to share this little nugget of insane information. The Guess Who, other than, and just get a load of this list, other than Elvis, The Beatles, and The Rolling Stones, the Guess Who are the only other band to have a double-sided number one. I mean, how crazy. That's, that is a fact. Elvis, The Beatles, The Rolling Stones, and The Guess Who. The only bands to ever have a double-sided number one. And The Guess Who did it with American Woman and No Sugar Tonight. I learned so much in this conversation, but I think the thing that shocked me the most, or the most kind of oh-wow moment, was when he was talking about how he came from the age of promoters. So these promoters were basically running the music business as far as touring goes. And a, quote, promoter could be anyone. You would get people, like, you know, taking their life savings and betting on a band, that's the way it's got to be said, and hoping for a big payday. And some people bet and won big, some people bet and lost it all. But like you'll hear Gary say, if there was an act that you believed in, and you had the money, and you wanted to put a tour together, and you bet on this band, and they blew up the way the Guess Who did, you made a killing. You know, the other just insane thing that I never thought about until Gary mentioned it is they were going to a concert not knowing what a band looked like. Like, maybe you had the album cover and you had an idea of what these people looked like. But they would go to a concert and see what a band really looked like for the first time or what gear that they were playing, you know? They showed up and wanted to see what kind of amp, what kind of guitar. To hear him talk about that was really, really cool. You know, in today's Instagram world, we see what everyone looks like. We see what gear they play. I mean, hell, we even see what they're having for lunch. <laughs> oh, man, how times have changed. And I loved having an insight into that old school world. And Gary provides a wonderful insight, just a look at a time when rock and roll was new and people were figuring it out for the first time. How cool. You know, I really do feel honored. I say it a lot, but I feel honored to get to sit down with these people for this podcast. I'd be lying if I didn't say this one felt a little bit extra special just because of the history that this man and his music come with, you know? Okay, I'm going to shut up now. I'm such a nerd with rock and roll history, and this man provides some information that is mind-blowing for historical music history nerds like myself. <laughs> okay, here is my conversation with rock and roll legend, founding member and drummer of the Guess Who, Gary Peterson. What people seem to be most fascinated with with this particular show is the differences in the music world back in the day and the differences now. So like tour, I think tour is a good place to start since you guys are rolling through town. Well, in the old days, you would tour to support a record. Right. And it's kind of flipped over. So we're now, you have a record to be able to tour. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's totally 
gone the other way. Yeah. And uh, I, I believe a, a gold album would sell in our era 500,000 copies, whereas right. I'm told today, and I really don't know because I'm so busy, I like to play. That's what I do. I yeah. don't do all the, all the other end of it, although I'm kind of aware of it. The younger guys in our band now know a lot about it, so yeah. I, I'm learning from them, you know. Yeah. I'm relearning and learning all over again. But today, you know, a 70,000 units is like a big album, and I'm going, what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, would that have been a flop in the heyday of oh, the Oh, yeah. Or? The record company probably yeah. would have dropped it, <laughs> you know. How did a tour even get put together in the 70s? There wasn't the internet. There were no cell phones. Did somebody just call you up and go, okay, time to yeah, go Yeah, there were tour? promoters. The age of promoters was huge. Yeah. Uh, not just one big promoters today yeah. are a conglomerate. Yeah, right? like you know, Live Nation. Live Nation, yeah. there you go. That didn't exist then. Yeah. There were big guys, but there were more regionalized, you know, on the West Coast. Mm. Like he worked for the Belkins in, in mm. Cleveland, you know, and, and the West Coast had, I can't remember the names of them, but everybody in the business knows what I'm talking about yeah. from that era. And when you got booked by these guys, that's it, you made it. You know, so they would get in touch with either the label or your manager, or the management, yeah. And then the manager, and then it would funnel down to you, and they'd go, "Time to go on tour." Let's yeah, go. and that, so they they'd buy, yeah, a whole tour, oh, okay, of where they thought that they could sell, right? You know, make sell, the money, yeah, make the money. Yeah, it always didn't work. A lot of a lot of guys went bankrupt. Speaking of that, <laughs> you see in movies the depiction of promoters in movies like Almost Famous and some of these throwback mm -hmm. movies. They're always very interesting, kind of used car oh, characters. Yeah, like oh, used yeah. car salesmen. That's what it feels oh, like. Yeah, Were yeah. they like that? Yeah, because, I mean, a lot of them, this was a quick way to make money. You could yeah. make, if you had a, a hot act with a, a whole tour, yeah. you could make enough money to, you know. <laughs> so pretty crazy to me. Yeah, it, it is. I, Of course, in our era, there wasn't all that much. It was competition, but not nearly like yeah. every person can record in their basement or yeah. or anywhere you're in this hotel room right. you know, we've done tracking in, in a hotel room yeah if you want for instance our new bass player is rudy sarza i heard this who's from uh, a quiet riot and and white snake, white snake and ozzy <laughs> so and what cool. a what a great player but what a greater person so we oh, tracked cool. we tracked a couple of tracks with him when we had decided he was going to be in the band most of this new album is Michael Devon mm. from Whitesnake. Oh, yeah. So what you're listening to, <laughs> you know, that was, yeah. that was Michael playing. But, uh, you know, we went and got uh, some real credible players to, That's and the great. band is, I would say this is one of the best bands we've ever had. Do you like the ability to record like in a hotel room, or does part of you feel well, like? Well, not for me because I'm a drummer. Man. I guess you've got to have a drum set, and the yeah. guitar players can do that because they yeah. can plug directly in and, and right. then use the tools to to get what sounds they want. You so, know. So how do you feel? I'm really curious now that I think about it. How do you feel about programmed drum loops and things like that? I've used them. Yeah. Yeah, we have a little bit of that on here, not too much, but uh, it's a tool. Yeah, you can't make it the whole song. You want yeah. real people yeah. playing real music, but I agree. I'm saying. Let's let's call it sound effects. Sure, you know, it's it's, sound it's something effects. to sprinkle on top. Yeah, yeah, but not to make the whole the whole thing that way. I mean, we use a lot of tracks on stage as well, 
because obviously, take American Woman. I played seven percussion tracks. Yeah. How am I gonna? That. I can't play that. Yeah. On, on, you know, <laughs> I play tabla. I play kungas. I played yeah. cowbell, and so all of that is on a track. Yeah. As I played it on the record, and when people hear it, they go, "Wow, that sounds just like the record." Well, it does because it's we tried to make it sound That's like great. That. That's great. These eyes mm. had sweetening mm. from the guys from the at the time it was 1969 who were playing in the New York Philharmonic. Wow. Um, we recorded that song in Phil Ramone's studio, Studio 55. Wow. So These Eyes was that, and it had a flugelhorn and cellos, violas, violins, xylophone. We have that all on... Backing track now? Yeah. yeah. So that when the people hear it, they go, wow, that sounds just like the yeah. record. Well, why not? In I mean, look at look at Queen. A band like Queen had like mm. so many layers yeah, yeah. that you can't possibly reproduce it. Yeah. You you have to have some help because of the way you work in layering in the studio. Right. right? Back so. in the day when you didn't have the ability to have a backing track, did you guys have all? No, stuff? we did it just like that. Yeah. Yeah. Just Sometimes did it. it sounded awful, yeah. to be honest with you. <laughs> But I don't know if uh, I believe it. A lot, a lot was left to the imagination of yeah. the listener. Yeah. I want to ask you. You mentioned American Woman. Is it true? I wrote it down here because uh, I did not know this. Is it true that American Woman was basically accidentally written when Randy? It was a jam. Did he break a string and he was no. tuning? I heard no. this story. Have you heard this story before? Yes, I've heard it. And that's not true. No. Okay. We had we were playing at a curling club. Okay. In uh, I think it was Scarborough. Yeah. We don't have oh, that you, in Texas. Which is a, yeah, Kerman. <laughs> My wife, who's from North Carolina, loves Kerman. That's great. So anyways, um, it was a two-set night. And uh -huh. it was kind of big for us because we had had already uh, These Eyes, uh -huh. Laughing, okay. Undone in No Time. Cool. It's pretty big coming back to Canada yeah. with that under your belt right? as a rock band. That's four hits. Yeah. And... We had two sets there. There were a lot of people there backstage from RCA Records in, in Toronto and just people that were excited about the band. Yeah. So we took our, played our first set, took a break. We couldn't find Burton. Mm -hmm. And so we decided, doesn't matter who decided, but the band said, well, let's sure. go up and we'll start playing just a little jamming. bit, jamming, and yeah. he'll hear it, and that's what happened. Yeah. And I, I was listening to Buddy Miles at the time, uh -huh. who was who, uh, who was uh, the Buddy Miles Express. Yeah. Uh, he was using double bass drums, and American Woman is based on a double bass drum figure. Do-do-do-do-da, do-do-do-do-da. Yeah. So I started playing that. Randy started playing whatever he was going to play yeah. and jamming. And then Burton came up, grabbed the mic, and just yelled some kind of crazy words. And, yeah. And then, so the then the, what happened is the people loved it. Uh -huh. We looked at each other and said, you know, we have to this, we have to keep this in the show. So it kind of, after that, morphed. I can't remember what the first one was like. Nobody, yeah. none of us can. <laughs> and anybody in this band that tells you they remember what yeah. it sounded like is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> unless you had an actual cassette of it or sure, something like sure. that. I can't. I do know the double bass drum figure because yeah. I was listening to somebody else. It was yeah. Buddy Miles that yeah. inspired me to play that, right? And so so it morphed and then eventually we went into 
the Chicago RCA studio and cut it. It's great. I love that it happened. That's the real story. Okay. I love I that mean, it happened that organic. And I, and I didn't do any drugs, so, <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's vivid. In, it, it was a jam. Yeah. You know? So you've, you've clearly, and I want to tell people in case they don't know, there are several stories about how that song came to be. Yeah. Uh, and it's and it you know became a number if, one. If hit, you right? would watch, even today, if you mm. would watch any of our sound checks, mm. I'll sit down the drums and for no known reason to man, mm. I'll start playing a groove. Yeah. And then everybody will jump on it. Yeah. So if you think of it that way... Mm. That the first cut on our album that I played, which kind of sounds Zeppelinish, uh-huh. which is American womanish, yeah, yeah. that's exactly how it was yeah. written. <laughs> if you look at the writing credits, just like American Woman mm-hmm. on this new album that's coming out, back to where we started from, yeah, which talks about us going back to where we started in in Manitoba, mm-hmm. how we we started playing. Not for money, but for the love of music. Right. That has all four of our names on it because that's how it was written. That's cool. See what I mean? I like that. So if you take that story that's happening now yeah. and put it with the story that I just told you, yeah. that makes sense. It does make sense. Because it's now repeating itself. Right. Everything, when, when a guy is writing with the tools he has today, doesn't he make a drum loop or something, you know? Yeah, yeah, and then, and then he starts, builds on top of it. That's yeah. very true. I hadn't really thought about that. That's really true. In my memory, that's the way it started. It makes sense. I just went on stage and started playing something, and everybody and then dun, dun, played dun, dun, along dun. with it. Yeah. yeah. It, makes, it makes total sense now. I had like a light bulb moment when you said it. I was like, actually, yeah. that makes way more yeah. sense. I mean, it was a double set night. I mean, yeah. we had, and Took when you break, play two sets, night. you have a break. Yeah. But then when it was time to go back on, we couldn't find him. He might have been <laughs> out so, there. Yeah, who knows? You know, you never know. It's, it was the age of... Yeah. Well, you did come up in a time when, you know, it was just kind of part of it, right? It hadn't gone to the extreme it went to with, like, cocaine in the 80s and things like that. No. So, was it fun? I know there was some excess, of course, but was it fun to be part I of think, I think past the point, it started to get in the way Mm. Of the music, yeah. Rather than ha- enhance the music, fair enough. I think the music is enough to enhance yeah. everything. I get that. And you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. If you're a player, you're not gonna make yourself any more far out or better. Yeah. By doing that, the way to, to get better is practice. Yeah. And learn more. <laughs> you know? I agree. That's really the you know the crux of the whole thing. So, but uh, you know, it was used a lot, a lot of guys. I'm sure in bands. We're uncomfortable on stage. It wasn't yeah. being on display like that. Yeah. You know, a lot of guys, even lead singers, you had to go out there and twirl and, yeah. you know, <laughs> jump maybe they around. they a little extra something. They maybe needed yeah. a, a, a little uh, swing relaxer. Sure, you know? sure. Well, I want to yeah. ask, I don't, I'll make sure we bring this all forward to now, but I do want to ask a couple more questions about back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you guys got to perform for President Nixon, which is incredible. And here's another rumor that maybe you can clarify here. Is it true that Pat Nixon... Yes. She requested you not play American Yeah, because Woman? they were hip enough to know it wasn't about American women. Okay. I give them I give them a lot of credit. Yeah. It was about the country personified yeah. as a woman. Anti-war. Anti-war, anti... Yeah. 
ghetto scenes, war machines, you know. I mean, you have to understand, and, and I think more than anything, coming from Canada, mm. that we didn't have those kind of problems there. Yeah, yeah. We could, and we are little guys from Winnipeg that didn't know much about the world. Yeah. And then we saw all of this stuff going on, and it was... It was confusing. It was sure. it was disturbing, and not knowing what to make out of it. I think it kind of came out in Burton's lyrics mm. uh, about that. And if you think of the country, it's nineteen seventy, right? Yeah, when you sail into New York Harbor, what's the first thing you see? Statue of Liberty. A woman. That's right. American woman. Wow. So there's That's a lot of cool. imagery there. Just I mean, gave me goosebumps. They they call they call Russia mother, yeah. mother Russia. Yeah. Germany called it the fatherland. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really interesting. It's, it's interesting uh, imagery. Yeah. You, know. you guys were the first Canadian band, correct, that had a number one hit in America on the Billboard charts? I'm not sure about that, but I'll tell you one thing I do know. Yeah. We're amongst four rock entities that have had a double sided number one hit in okay. America. Okay. That would be Elvis, uh-huh. the Beatles. The Rolling Stones and the Guess Who. That's really cool. I knew there was something now, there. Now, I, I don't dare put ourselves <laughs> in, in the company of those people other than for that particular yeah. achievement. Because hey, American Woman and No Sugar Tonight charted number one at the same time wow. in Billboard. That's incredible. I didn't so, know that. I knew there was something. Yeah, with- and that's, that's, as far as I know, that's the facts are that the Beatles had several. Yeah. You know, obviously, right. A and B sides of 45s, and Elvis had the same, and the Stones had the same. We had one, which kind of gives us a little bit of bragging rights. Yeah, it does. I'd be to, telling to, people for sure. Yeah. And I think my wife has the billboard at home where it charted yeah. both. You see number one, and you see both songs listed. So great. Yeah. Oh, my God. That'd be yeah, cool. it's... It, for for little guys from Winnipeg that never thought who knew what what would happen, you know. So you guys came up in a time clearly pre-internet, pre-cell phone, pre-all of that. Do you, you mean a, a time when you used your imagination? Exactly. Okay. <laughs> so I do want to ask: Do you? I'm sure that there are things like iPhones and you know whatever. Oh, that, I I use them. Yeah, it's but a tool. Do you, you think know. that it? That it would have affected your career in 1970. Well, did did video kill the radio star? Okay, fair yeah, fair enough. You were saying before we hit record something that I thought was really interesting that you would show up to a show, right? And I've never experienced this because I've grown yeah. up at a time, and you would see for the first time what they looked like. Well, yeah, because all you had was the radio, which is yeah. like one of the cuts on our new album is yeah. playing on the radio, which harkens yeah. back to that time when. All you did was you listen. That was the story of your life was on the radio. Yeah. You know, you listened to uh, serials on there and and Mm. mystery shows. Yeah, yeah. And you could use your imagination. You didn't know what any of these people looked like. So they were whoever you thought about in your mind. And no two people would have the same image. Right. (laughs) Right. But uh, as far as bands was uh, rock, and even in the jazz era, you know, we didn't have in Winnipeg the access to that much and so we had to wait till the album cover came out oh there's a picture of the champs yeah wow look at that they got motorcycles (laughs) what are they doing you know it's so great yeah i mean that was and maybe that's why vinyl is coming back Mm. and albums because there's a longing 
for that time that mm. so many people that love music, younger people, yeah. they missed. Yeah. They didn't see that. So, and, and it can be created again. Yeah. I mean, you know, we would look to, to see what kind of guitars were they playing, what right? kind of drums, amplifiers. We wanted to buy those, you know. How the, much more I want to make enough money to buy a Fender amplifier. Yeah. How much and, more exciting that must have been to show up and go, okay, oh they have this, God. they have that. That Mosrite guitars, the Ventures. What are those? <laughs> they had such a high treble top end, yeah. like a Telecaster on steroids. <laughs> I wrote this down. This is very similar to what you said. I, I have this theory, right, that people are having to go back to find real, authentic things and music, right? Yeah, because that's why, now... That's why the first lyric in, in that song I played, you... Yeah is back to where we started from. Yeah. You know, you miss so much about it. And I'm sure every era is the same. I don't I don't want to make young people think that their era has no relevance. Yeah, because yeah. when they get to the point I'm at now, they'll probably look back at their era and long for that because who knows when they're 75, what yeah. is going to be in this world, yeah. right? You know, what technology, what... Yeah. They may, may be missing the iPhone because they're tired of plugging the wire into the, their back of their neck. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know where it's going. Every age has relevance. I listen to new music and I go, wow, this is great. Bands in that day before, you know, the real heavy metal circus mm. kind of acts yeah. that really took it to a more visual level. Yeah. Jefferson Airplane, the first time we saw them in Winnipeg at the Winnipeg Auditorium, they came in and they stood in a circle and played with their backs to the audience. Wow. They played to each other. Yeah. And we went, wow, man, that's so cool. <laughs> so you're, you're influenced yeah. by no motion. Yeah. And you're influenced by in some guy on a, on a trapeze on stage yeah. with a guitar, you know? It's like, who knows? So cool! How cool is that to hear him talk about that sort of thing? Just going to see Jefferson Airplane, seeing what they look like. You show up and they're standing in a circle, you know? In today's world, somebody would go to the first show of the tour, Jefferson Airplane would be standing in a circle, people would be taking pictures of them standing in a circle on their iPhone, and then everyone would know exactly what it was going to look like whenever they showed up for the show. Oh, how times have changed. <laughs> so I got to tell you, whenever I did this interview, I showed up, we did it in uh, Gary's hotel room. When I showed up, he had a little Bluetooth speaker set up, and he wanted to play me their new album. They got, it's not the original lineup, you know, Randy Bachman and, and those original dudes have all gone off to do their own things. So Gary, he has, you know, they have a new singer, Rudy Sarzo is playing bass, which is insane and awesome. But Gary is such a music lover. I mean, for God's sake, he's had surgery and like both knees, his hip replaced, his shoulder. It's crazy. And he's still doing it because he loves it. And he was so proud of this new album. And I got to say, it sounded incredible. It sounded like old school Guess Who, but with a new spin. And it was just super cool for him to be excited to share it with me. I mean, the man's been in the band for 50 plus years, and he's still excited to share the new music. 
It's so wonderful, and I think it's a testament to how much of a true music lover the man is. You know, I left that conversation feeling very educated. I felt very lucky to get this peek into rock and roll history, like actual history. And I mean, who knows if I'll ever get that opportunity again. But I'm so glad that I did. And I'm so glad I got to capture it and share it with all of you. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, review, share the podcast. I'm loving it. I really, really am. It's been such an educational experience for me just on a personal level to get to do this. I'm soaking up every little bit. And uh, I'm so glad that it's getting the response that it is. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And I'll see you next Tuesday. This episode was produced, edited, and mixed by Luke Bronner. The artwork we used for this podcast was done by Heather Hale. Please visit halehouse.co for more of her stuff. The theme music you hear is from my band's latest album, The Devil's in the Detail. Please visit ryanhamiltonandthetraders.com for more.